1: Prince Charles positive the heir to the British throne has coronavirus. And lifting restrictions on ground zero. China relaxes travel limits in the Hubei province. It's Wednesday. Let's make a move. Once again, to First Move, great to have you with us and great to be able to say we have an agreement on a $2 trillion insurance. Investment in survival. Okay. Stimulus bill from Congress in Washington. We have the contours of the plan, but I'll reiterate throughout the show, the devil will be in the detail here. The early relief rally that we saw in US pre-market and European markets has, as you can see, they're pretty much evaporated here in the United States. We were looking at gains of more than one and a half percent or more for the major averages. They've now been wiped out in what's been pretty volatile futures trading. And of course, as I mentioned, European stocks have also turned mixed too. It doesn't take away from the importance of what was agreed to in Washington in the early hours of this morning. It perhaps, though, so also reflects the fact that more is required. Chuck Schumer, who was battling it out to agree this, admitted as much on New Day this morning. There is still a great deal of uncertainty, including with the health crisis. Plus, of course, we had that bounce in trading yesterday too. Let me give you a look at what's included in the bill. five hundred billion dollars in loans for distressed companies the game-changer I'll argue here could be if they can some way do some financial magic and scale this up increase the loans significantly plus $350 billion in small business loans, perhaps grants, let's be clear. $250 billion in direct payments to individuals and families matched by employment benefits stepped up and lengthened. The latter critical because it provides months of additional support and Crucial for me, $130 billion for hospitals and $150 billion for state and municipal authorities. This is dwarfs anything we saw in Hurricane Katrina, in Superstorm Sandy too. Now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell calls it a wartime level of investment for our nation. That said, $1,000 government checks won't go so far if you've lost your job and are living paycheck to paycheck, as millions of Americans do. Rent, mortgages and car pay, payments also come due on April 1st. So many Americans having to make harrowing choices still pay the rent or put food on the table yesterday. Let me give you a look. We racked up some of the best one-day gains in terms of percentages for stocks since 1933 and the best point gain for the Dow ever. It was 2,100 points. But we've seen big moves higher on a number of occasions over the past few weeks, only to see pullbacks just as great soon after. We've not had a back-to-back two-day rally on Wall Street this month. The big question now are investors just going to continue to sell on these rallies? And how well will this package fill the deficit in the real economy? Richard Quest joins me now. Richard, you heard all that. Good morning. What do you make of it?
2: Good morning to you. It is an impressive size, Mm. and I think that you're right, it won't be enough. But that's mealy-mouthed, both of us, to sort of be harping on about that when they've just done it. Instead, uh, I I think you've got to really look at the level of confusion and chaos that's currently in the US economy. You rightly point out what happens when uh, those bills are paid, particularly if they are paid by standing order or by ACH and automatic payments. They're going to come out of your account immediately whether you like it or not. And this money coming in may be several weeks away. The loans provisions that you pointed out, they are, we, know, we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know the transmission mechanism of that money from government to lending institution to borrower. And that, of course, just will increase the pressure. And that's really what this is now about, uh, Julia. It's about the pressure that people are feeling in their everyday lives, as you rightly say, do I pay the, I mean, you know, you talk about, do I pay the mortgage? The mortgage may be paid automatically. The car loan may be paid automatically. And, you know, I've obviously got a mortgage here and I've had the email from the mortgage lender that says, get in touch, but you can't. So those are huge sums of money that we're talking about. But the transmission mechanism into the economy, that is going to be the crucial part
1: execution on all of this is so critical. We spoke to the head of the National Retail Federation on the show yesterday, and he represents one in four of all employees in the United States that touch this sector. He said he's got many companies, they have no cash today. They can't mess around for days and a week and waiting for a loan, even if it's a grant and they don't have to pay it back. It's It's the timing and the execution here, Richard, to your point, critical.
2: I don't know that they could have done it. They could have done it a bit quicker, but I don't know that they could have done it any better. I think if you look around the world at all the measures being taken, the huge stimulus, 700 billion in Germany, the British government's 80% for the workers, it's still all a question of how you get the money into people's pockets. And as for that rally yesterday, uh, you were the one who chided me correctly yesterday when you pointed out in the office that this is going to go on for some considerable time and even when everything's reopened again the the damage and the collateral damage and the landscape is going to be littered with the wreckage of this so I think that that 11.3 um I think you called it you know the dead cat the classic dead cat bounce I, I think it probably is but it's better than nothing at the moment
1: yeah it is and everything All of this, at the heart of this, is a health crisis that we're simply not on top of. And that's the bottom line here. Richard Crest. Thank you so much. Now in Washington, as we've been talking about, senators are expected to approve the historic stimulus package when they reconvene this afternoon. Then the bill goes to the House for a vote before it gets to President Trump's desk. Joe Johns is live at the White House with all the details for us. Joe, I think that's pretty much a done deal as far as getting this signed and getting this done. But I'm sure you were listening to what Richard and I were saying there in terms of simply getting the money out and implementing this. That's going to be the challenge, not to mention the fact that we perhaps could have Read this several days ago if there hadn't have been politicking in between.
3: Absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, all things considered, given the size of this stimulus package being the largest, in fact, stimulus package, emergency package ever produced by the United States Congress, uh, it went. Uh, about as you'd expect, there had to be negotiations with Democrats, and uh, now we see the final result. So there are concerns about getting uh, money out, especially to individual consumers, up to $2,000 on a means tested basis uh, to families with children, uh, plus uh, all the other things in this package the president uh, and the administration have suggested. They'd like to get it out as early as April 6th, which would be extremely lightning fast action by the federal government. Still, as you said, there's a question of uh, the House and the Senate both passing this enormous bill the Senate expected to take it up this afternoon. Afternoon. Uh, in just a few hours, they'll convene, and we'll find out how quickly that goes. Then the House of Representatives. Uh, there is some hope by Speaker Nancy Pelosi to pass this bill on what is known as unanimous consent, meaning no one objects. However, given all the provisions of it and the 435 members of the House of Representatives, uh, it's not entirely likely that that'll happen. So it could be a day, a day or two. But the likelihood is. And the expectation is the House of Representatives will move quickly to get this to the president's desk. Julia.
1: Joe, great to have you with us. Uh, Joe Johns there. Thank you for that. Now Prince Charles has tested positive for the coronavirus. The heir to the British throne is now self-isolating in Scotland. Joining us with the latest on that is Clarissa Ward. Clarissa, great to have you with us. What do we know about the state of his health currently?
4: Well, what
5: we're hearing, Julia, the good news is that Prince Charles is reportedly in good health and good spirits. That's according to a royal source. He apparently has mild symptoms. He was tested by uh, NHS or National Health Service staff in Aberdeenshire after reportedly meeting the criterion. He is in uh, Scotland, as you said, with the Duchess of Cornwall. She does not appear to have coronavirus, which is some good news. But of course, the question that many people are asking Julia is what about the Queen is it possible that she could have been exposed to the virus and what we're hearing and what CNN's Max Foster has been hearing from a royal source is that Prince Charles was only infectious from March 13th. The last time the queen reportedly saw uh, Prince Charles was the day before that on March 12th in the morning. We're hearing also from the palace that the queen is in good health. So for now, uh, it, it appears that she has not been affected or exposed to the virus. But what this does go to show is just how vulnerable anyone and everyone is to this virus but particularly julia people like prince charles who have incredibly busy diaries and schedules who meet with many different people he is in the vulnerable category of over 70 but he had not been self-isolating up until this point because uh, as i said on march 12th the guideline had not yet been given uh, for him to follow that instruction so for now as i said he remains in scotland in burke hall his residence there with the duchess of cornwall uh and everyone hoping he will continue to make a speedy recovery but for now it appears symptoms are mild and he is in good health and good spirits julia
1: great to have you with us thank you so much for that clarissa ward there most populous country in the world is now under complete lockdown. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi announcing that 1.3 billion people will have to stay at home for at least three weeks. According to the health ministry, India has more than 500 confirmed coronavirus cases. Authorities say 10 people have died. Meanwhile, China lifted restrictions on movement in most of the Hubei province on Wednesday. It's a significant milestone in the battle against the outbreak. Hubei has seen ground at zero as of the pandemic. David Cover joins us on this. David, just talk to us about what they're doing here because clearly the world is watching as the debate here in particular increases about perhaps seeing some kind of staggered reduction in the economic sleep that we're seeing, the world watching really how China's handling it.
6: Well, and you've got to remember, Julia, going back just a few weeks, when we saw President Xi Jinping here making his early appearances, he echoed two things. One was Determined to contain this virus to stop its spread and the other was to stabilize the economy So the economy was in the forefront early on and that's certainly a part of this resumption of normality if you will That's starting as of today really just in the past few hours within Hubei province So we know that to be the epicenter uh, provincial region of all of this That we've now started to see lifting of certain restrictions cars allowed to go around uh, within the streets if you have certain permits, uh, people in public transportation getting some access there, and even being able to walk to you know local markets. What is not part of that, though, is Wuhan. So the city of 11 million people, the real epicenter of all of this, is still under its official lockdown. They have said two weeks from today, they're going to allow that to be lifted in some manner and allow people to kind of move forward. And a part of that will, of course, be the movement of migrant workers. Uh, which was mentioned because we know that they, in the midst of the Lunar New Year, were essentially caught within the city of Wuhan and within the lockdown zones. And we're not able to go back to places like we are in Shanghai or in Beijing and, and we essentially restart within the factory. So that will help business once it gets in place. The concern though, is of course, you've got movement again, Julia. And when you've got movement, do you then risk the exposure going up? Are people then gonna be in close contact with one another again? And do the numbers go up? so while this is significant certainly from a mental health perspective for the people who are within lockdown from a business perspective and the idea of restarting it's still concerning from a health perspective and a health security perspective nationally and that's why they've got things like this tracing of of really humanity for us too those of us in mainland china where we've got those qr codes and they can track where potential exposures have taken place and based on our location They can determine whether or not we are at risk of either getting the virus ourselves or transmitting it to someone else julia so they're they're very mindful of how this is going to play out uh, but it's concerning
1: it's fascinating how we would in other countries look at that and go it's an invasion of privacy and yet it's been so successful in perhaps tracking the flows and understanding what's happening here david I, i also think one of the challenges is exactly to your point if there's still a fear that perhaps you could still catch this virus. Do you go back to normal life in the way that you would have done? Do you go back to mass congregations, religious congregations, for example? Do you go to a cinema? What are you seeing people do? Are they making these decisions or are they still being quite reticent to, to behave like normal?
6: Depends where you are and who you are. By that, I mean here in Shanghai, and this is a really interesting point, we notice more expats, more foreigners, who seem to be a bit more comfortable moving about. And they'll go to restaurants, they'll go to some of the gatherings in the parks on weekends, which have just reopened. And little by little, you see locals doing the same, but they seem to be a bit more hesitant. I've spoken to people within Wuhan, and I said, what's some of the first things you're going to do as soon as this lockdown eases? And some of them are saying probably stay in for a few more days. They don't trust it right away. They're they're a bit reluctant and it's because of what they have seen around them. I mean you've got to realize that was really the ground zero of all of this and it was for many of them horrific sights that they had to to deal with and after enduring that they're trying to figure out whether or not it's just gonna spring back to normal. They know it won't go back to normal that quickly and so they're having to figure out how they're gonna ease into this resumption of normality knowing that you've got to get back to business and back to life.
1: David, your perspective is so important, given the discussion that's going on in the United States right now. Thank you. David Culver, great to have you with us. Sure. Right, still to come on First Move, $2 trillion for the U.S. economy, but will it be enough? We speak to the former White House Comms Director, Anthony Scaramucci, who's still calling for more. And... What's the future of movie theatre chains? We were just discussing there as many remain shut. The IMAX CEO joins us to give uh, his perspective. Stay with us. You're with CNN. to First Move live from New York and we are bracing for more volatility across stock markets today. We've got stock futures have been swinging pretty wildly over the past few hours following that agreement on Washington's $2 trillion relief package. President Trump has gone back to comparing coronavirus meanwhile with the flu. My next guest is a former West Wing staffer who says he's wrong. Anthony Scaramucci says flatten the curve, solve the testing, then slowly get people back to work. It doesn't have to be a choice between economy and lives, pay people to stay at home for a month. To joke us through all this, we have ex-White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci joining us now. Great to have you with us on the show, sir. Your thoughts first on the uh, stimulus package agreement in the early hours of this morning.
7: Well, uh, Julia, when you and I were talking about it last week, uh, we both thought that a 3 trillion dollars stimulus would have been way better in terms of alleviating the anxiety in the American people. But this is a very good start. Uh, I don't think the economy is going to reopen in the United States after Easter. Uh, but I do think it's likely that a May 1st or that that first week in May will likely happen, given all the information that we're gathering at Skybridge. And I think that would not be a bad thing pursuant to that stimulus package, provided that we're completely confident that people will be safe returning to their normal lives. So it's a very complicated situation. Uh, but uh, one of the big pressures going on right now is in the U.S. mortgage markets. I don't know if you guys are following that, but the commercial mortgage backspace and the residential mortgage backspace is basically frozen right now. So we're going to need the Fed to come in there um, and start providing some liquidity. So once that starts to happen, I think things will calm down in general.
1: Or perhaps an agreement between some of the big banks, some of the bondholders not to trigger debt defaults. So actually, we were talking about it on the show yesterday. It's a complex arrangement at this moment. And the Fed coming in earlier this week and saying, look, they'll buy more and in unlimited qualities, clearly hasn't underpinned this market successfully enough. There's fears that people won't pay rent, quite frankly, for an unknown length of time.
7: Yeah, well, you have a combination of things going on. You know, the, the, the banks are able to borrow at a at the Fed window at a zero discount rate, and you've got these overnight mortgage rates and these overnight uh, residential mortgage backed security businesses that they're pressing hard down on in margin calls. And so you're talking about pristine mortgages from two weeks ago are now getting flushed out because you've got a weak hand of retail investors up against a very strong hand where a big commercial bank is backed by the Federal Reserve. So hopefully, uh, once the Treasury Department gets an understanding of this, uh, they'll figure out a system to relax this because these prices that we're seeing today are 30 to 40% down from where they were two short weeks ago, and yet the credit quality hasn't really changed. So So there's a blend of things going on right now, but the good news is that the financial stimulus... Uh, is going to get to the average American and the lower and middle income people and hopefully provide some relief until we can turn the corner and flatten the curve.
1: The point that you're making here, and I think this is critical, we have so many crises going on, jobs crises, economic crises, given the economic sleep, financial crises, a part of what you were just discussing there. You also said you didn't think the economy was going to be reopening until May 1st. Is this White House going to be comfortable enough with that? Will they stick with what the health experts are saying? Because surely doing anything else risks increasing the fear.
7: Well, listen, I I think the president, knowing him very well, frankly, I I think he was putting that out there as a marker and sort of the bid side of the market uh, and trying to condition the people to the notion that we were going to open up earlier than, let's say, the scientists want. Uh, The very, very good news is whether it's uh, the governor of New York, Illinois or California or some of the major states, uh, they're not going to endanger the citizens. You know, we've seen what Andrew Cuomo is doing here in New York. It's a uh, heroic and monumental call to leadership on his behalf. And I thought he said something brilliant the other night. I feel the same way about my mom. He's like, you know, we're not risking my mom over a few points in the economy one way or the other. And so I think we need to just calm down. Uh, Human life is way more precious than anything for that matter. Uh, And we can get this right. Uh, But but I don't think the the White House is going to open up on April 12th. I think it'll be monumentally impossible. And one thing we're learning, and this is the problem that the president's having right now, you can't call out fake science uh, from the White House press podium. You can call out fake news in certain ways. But uh, two plus uh, two does equal four. Uh, Julie, you're not going to be able to convince somebody that it equals seven. So so let's see what happens here. But I bet you uh, we don't open until the first or second week of May.
1: Does this stimulus package therefore, the $2 trillion, maybe they can get some leverage and scale up the corporate loan part, which will make it look bigger? In addition to the trillions of dollars the Fed, the Fed has provided here too, do you think that gets us to May the 1st? Or do you agree that we we're going to need more? Congress is going to have to provide more.
7: So I personally think we're going to need more because I, I've gone through the math. I mean, the one thing I did like in the package, I don't know if you saw it, it was 130 billion to the hospitals because we're yeah. way underbedded and we need way more respirators, et cetera. But if you go through the math, um, it's it's not enough per capita, you know. And so uh, the the right math would be something like three thousand dollars per adult and $1,500 per child. And they're about 40% of that. Um, But I do think that they'll ultimately get there. And I do think that the good news is the Fed, because it's not tied to the politics, opening up the spigot with the $4 billion. Somebody called it a bazooka the other day. I laughed. I said, it's more like a green water wall of money. (laughs) <laughs> uh, almost like a green tsunami that's going to enter the market. So, so I, I, I see it as very, very powerful on the Fed side, but probably a little bit of underwhelming on the federal stimulus side. But it should be enough uh, to get people calm, and then we can reposition ourselves once the economy opens. I just don't want things that were pristine in terms of debt and credit quality three short weeks ago – to be blown to pieces uh, uh, without a victim. It would be one thing if there was a systemic crisis or people weren't making good on their mortgages or things like that, but this is more of a, uh, all related to the pandemic. It's not a system failure, if you will, or a failure in judgment uh, on, on people's risk management and so forth.
1: It's just uncertainty. Anthony, very quickly, What what do you say to investors here, those that perhaps saying, you know, we rallied in the stock market yesterday, we're perhaps going to open a little bit lower today. Is it time to put some money to work here or do you just say stay back and wait till we have a handle on the health crisis?
7: So I think it's time to stay back in the stock market. I just remind people when we did the stimulus last time in 2008, the market bottomed six months later. So it's going to be very sloppy in the stock market. But go look at the bond market. There's a big opportunity in the bond market. You can buy government-backed securities in the mortgage space uh, that are trading at 70 cents on the dollar. So I would be cautious here in stocks uh, until we get more visibility on when we're going to open the economy. Always
1: a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. Anthony Scaramucci, founder and managing partner
7: at Skybridge.
1: Thank you. The opening bell is next. Stay with us. to first move US stocks are open and trading this Wednesday we're bracing for yet another volatile session we have been all over the place pre-market the past few hours we opened uh, as you can see now a slightly lower for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 the Dow Jones up by some eight-tenths of one percent the early morning agreement on a two trillion dollar aid package certainly a huge positive as we were discussing there the big question is is it enough and of course we have so much uncertainty ongoing. We did see big gains in Tuesday's session, so perhaps taking back some of that, even if it was people scrambling to buy back what we call shorts. They'd sold the market and bought them back yesterday. Perhaps that's a factor here too. Now, take a look at some of the stocks that skyrocketed Tuesday. Norwegian cruise lines rose 42%. American Airlines rallied 35%. United up 25%. Boeing up 20%. All on anticipation of aid money from the two trillion dollar package that of course was yesterday I'd still be cautious as I mentioned on any further big market gains here you heard Anthony Scaramucci there say exactly the same there's a risk of much more pain in terms of the data in particular coming our way Morgan Stanley believes unemployment claims will rise to almost three and a half million claims when numbers are released tomorrow Earlier today, former Fed Chair Ben Bernanke likened this crisis more to a natural disaster, not another Great Depression. Claire Sebastian, that may be the case, but some of the data and the predictions that are being thrown around here argue that it's the latter that perhaps we're looking at here. And yet we do have a $2 trillion stimulus package, which we shouldn't deride here. That's a lot of money.
4: That is a lot of money, here. I think there's a sense in the markets today that perhaps there was some sort of buy the rumor, uh, sell the news uh, scenario going on. That that the expectation of the deal was what what fueled those gains yesterday. And now people really want to see the deal get signed, and they want to see the full text, which we expect uh, later this morning to, to to really get a sense of what what this is about, what the strings attached are to the loans to businesses uh, and to to distressed companies. So that is. Critical as well, and meanwhile, as you say, uh, this is showing up in the data. Particularly, watching uh, the the weakest, weekly jobless came, claims that will be out tomorrow. That should give a sense uh, of what could be a very bleak employment picture uh, for the U.S. economy. And, and as you say, this could start to look, at least briefly, like a depression. Capital Economics saying that they expect a contraction in the second quarter uh, of some forty percent in the U.S. economy. There will, they say, be a rebound, but this is looking like some serious short-term pain. And I think the markets are still digesting that. We've seen this before, don't forget, on March 13th when we saw an almost 2,000 point rally on the Dow, it lost one and a half times that in the following trading session. Volatility is still very high. The VIX index, Wall Street's uh, gauge of volatility is well above 60. Bear in mind that the normal level for that before all of this was around 12 to 15. So very high implied volatility in the market going forward.
1: Yeah, too many crises to deal with: jobs, financial, economic, the economic sleep, and of course at the core of that, that the health crisis here. Interesting to see some of the shares yesterday that rallied quite significantly. Those on the front lines here: the airlines, the the tourism stocks. Then you look at what came out of this stimulus package: sixty billion dollars for the airline industry and then you compare to the numbers that boeing has perhaps suggested that is required here to help them and yeah i don't know i'm not sure about the money and whether it's enough
4: yeah, I think that that's certainly true. We heard from IATA yesterday that they have now increased their estimate for losses for the global airline industry to around $252 billion this year. That's up from $113 billion on just March the 5th, Julia. This is a very fast trajectory to the downside in terms of uh, of these estimates. Boeing, though, an interesting one to look at, and, and especially, as you say, all of those transport stocks, because that does imply that people are looking for bargains. When we see that the big gains in these really beaten down stocks and the ones that still face a fairly bleak future. Over this. Boeing uh, expected to rise sharply today. It's up some 34% already this week, but still down about 60% from its highs of the year back in February. That uh, company uh, rising, I think, on the hopes of stimulus. Also, the the CEO was out yesterday saying he doesn't want the government to take an equity stake as a condition uh, for these loans. And there was a report from Reuters that they still expect the 737 Max uh, to restart production in May. So, so some hopes bringing that very beaten down stock back up, even though this company has already suspended its dividend, it's it's extended its suspension of buybacks, and it has suspended production for 14 days in the Puget Sound in Washington State, Julia. So there's, a, there's still a lot of bad news around this.
1: Absolutely. Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. Now, major movie theatre chains have been hit hard by the coronavirus outbreak. IMAX forced to temporarily close many of its theatres around the world. The Canadian company has around 1,500 theatres in more than 80 countries worldwide. China represents nearly 50% of its network with over 700 theatres. IMAX CEO, Rich Galfond, joins us now on the phone. Rich, fantastic to have you with us. I do want to talk specifically about your business. I, I know the general consensus is you're in the best shape financially to withstand what we're seeing right now. But what do you make more broadly of the support that's been provided by Congress today?
8: So we haven't seen the details of the legislation yet, but I understand that traditional cinemas were seeking relief um, in that package. And primarily it was there were, uh, over 150,000 uh, workers uh, put out of work uh, because of the shutdown necessitated by the coronavirus. IMAX is the different kind of company. We license our technology. We don't really have a lot of um, assets. We don't own real estate. It's an asset light model. And we have um, um, more cash. We We had virtually no debt, but we drew down our revolver. So the business could go on shut for two and a half years and we would be fine. On the other hand, though, we're housed in multiplexes and my heart goes out to those companies, their employees. And I'd heard rumours that they're included, and I really hope that's the case. Do
1: you think there should be a decision to retain workers? We could only be talking about two to three months, particularly for, for bigger companies. If they can take this money, retain workers, have that backfill, the payroll, that's what they should do here, even if there are other strings attached.
8: So we've made the decision, even though of our worldwide Um, global effort, Um, a lot of theaters are closed and we don't need a lot of our um, employees on a day-to-day basis. We made the decision to retain them for now, even though it, it would probably be fiscally prudent to make changes in the short run. And part of that is a moral issue. I feel people have worked hard for us for a long period of time and they deserve to be retained and we need to stand behind them. Part of it, though, is we're, you know, we managed our business Uh, to withstand a storm like this. So I don't want to be judgmental for a company that it's between survival or laying people off. They have to make very difficult decisions. But I think for the time being, if you don't need to lay them off, you shouldn't. And in in fact, we have, as you mentioned, a large uh, network in China. And um, that's been virtually closed for over two months and we didn't lay anyone off in China. But these are really hard choices that I think companies have to make on their own.
1: When will you make a decision on whether you have to let people go? Can you do the same here in the United States, at least for two months? Retain your employees? And I know it's a tough it's a tough call to make at this stage, but do you think you can do that? Particularly given you just said you can survive two and a half years like this if necessary.
8: Yeah, well it's always a trade off, right? We could survive, but you want to innovate and you want people to be productive. So um For now, we've decided not to lay anyone off. And I'd say, you know, that probably goes, you know, for at least the first month of problems. We'll evaluate. But as I said before, I'd like to keep them working. I think, you know, all companies kind of have a duty, if they could afford it, to best utilize their employees. IMAX went through a difficult financial time in about 2000, 2001. And through that period of time, we had some of our best innovations. So we do, we transitioned from analog to digital. We figured out a new business model. We invented different technologies to up-res images. And frankly, we've got a a, a group call called The Future once a week, and we talk about how to utilize our employees um, to to how to make the business better and how to get to things we never were able to get to. So I think if people have... You know ways to productively use their employees that's an added bonus
1: mm. innovation in times of crisis which i want to ask you about what you're seeing in china and your reopening but it's clearly the debate that's going on here in the united states as well what happens when you reopen with places where people gather en masse are you seeing people coming back and and using the imax cinemas or, or are they still reticent to be in places where others are
8: So the openings just started, Julia. So there are about 500 regular theaters open and about 12 IMAX theaters open. Um, The schedule calls for um, sort of the majority to be open by middle of April and then most of them uh, by early May. And I think everybody's going to learn together. Certainly our priority and the governments in China is to make sure people are safe. So in the early stages... Um, It's every other seat and every other row. And I think we'll see how it goes um, from there. As a matter of fact, what the government did in China was pull out library films, um, not new releases, at a very discounted price. So it's kind of a a real-time test. How many people come out? How does it go? And obviously they're optimistic or they wouldn't schedule it out this way. But I think we all have to wait and see how it goes.
1: Rich, very quickly, are you in favor of health first in the U.S. economy, keeping shuttered until the health officials say we're good to go, to reopen? Or do you think staggered reopen is a possibility?
8: Julia, based on what we know today, I think there is no choice. Health first, you know, in other countries uh, where people wait to the game, specifically Italy, we mm-hmm. saw the, uh, the outbreak run amok. And actually, I don't really understand debate because if you're wrong on the health first issue there's no turning back and that will overwhelm the economy as well so i think it's a terrible choice i'm glad i'm the one i'm not the one who has to make it but it just seems clear to me health has to come first
1: rich fantastic to have you with us thank you so much for making the time this morning rich galfond there thank you coming up On First Move, IBM launches a coronavirus tracker. I ask the company's CEO and president how it can help us in this time of crisis next. To first move, IBM has just announced it's launching a coronavirus incidence map, which will be available via the Weather Channel app. It uses AI, artificial intelligence, to track confirmed cases and deaths across America at a county level. Ginny Rometty, the chairman, CEO and president of IBM, joins us now. Ginny, fantastic, as always, to speak to you. For me, this is IBM at its best trust in data at a time of crisis when there's so much misinformation in particular out there explain what you're doing and explain how it works please
9: yes well thank you julia nice to see you um so this is something that uh really our team thought of just days ago because what we saw there was so much confusion over what was the right data and at a very local level that could mean something to you and so as you just mentioned we do own the weather channel and all of its digital content. And the team there said look let's go to the source it's the cdc data we could be the trusted source for the consumer and the idea is if at a very hyper local level you said a county where you live you can see the trending and what's happening you can use it to help modify your behavior and that of your friends and family so i know my mom the first thing i did was look at the zip code where she lives my mom has to go to the doctor how did i feel about her leaving the house i could see the trending the number of cases um, you know, my husband looked and he he's, he's somewhere else than I am right now and he looked what mine were and he's like, you should just stay there actually. <laughs> and so it, I think it really is useful and it's meant to personalize this and be one trusted source around it. Now we do reach 300 million people and so this is just the beginning. The team is gonna to continue to add, so going to the rest of the world, as well as Spanish, as well as um, recoveries. So not just incidents but and, or deaths, but recoveries. But you can see the trending and you can look across anywhere you need to. So that's the idea, but it's just one of the things the team is doing.
1: And this is so critical too, because I think a lot of the data that we're seeing at the moment is cases. It's the death rate wherever you look around the world, but we aren't talking enough about the recoveries and getting the sense of, of that data too just to be clear as well it's free it's free to consumers
9: oh absolutely free just download your app just give it you know get its most current version and off you go you'll see a little red dot at the bottom of the screen
1: Now, I want to move on and talk about the other things that are going on here and the the apparent lack of a Marshall Plan here to galvanize the sources of resources of big corporates. I know you in particular, you can track hotel rooms around the country. Do you get a sense that at the the highest levels, there is that kind of focused precision? How can big companies help and let's get you doing it? Or is it still pretty sporadic because that's how it feels?
9: Yes. No, I I feel in many ways it's much more organized and many of us are stepping up and organizing. You see some of that on television, but the most important thing now, one is fiscal stimulus. The other is to just shrink the duration of this issue. Now that's going to happen via the actions we all take about staying safe, working remote. I've got almost 300,000 people working remote as an example, because we do mission critical systems, but it's also going to be when each of us stands up and organizes something. And so a perfect example So many efforts right now are about, obviously, containment, Um, but we're also doing work on the cure. And when you say about marshalling, so in this case, what we decided to do was could we put together a consortium of all the supercompute in the world? And because what you find, and I saw this must have been 10 days ago, I was at one of the leading health institutions, an academic center here, and the researchers were saying, I have all these ideas on the coronavirus but I need access to more compute power. This, this takes immense compute power for these people to test different viruses, molecules, uh, treatments, et cetera. And so just Sunday, we launched the supercomputing consortium. It's with the Department of Energy, with NASA, with all the national labs. It is with all the other companies that can contribute, ourselves included. We built the number one and two supercomputers in the world. And so this is being used right now to go for what the real cures, vaccines, treatments are, And just to give you a sense of this is 265 petaflops, which in your own mind, if you could take every computer in the United States, put it together and make it one, that might be what you're getting close to. And this allows and even right now work is being done on um, think about this virus, as you know, it can attach as an example, your lungs. Well, are there ways to stop it from attaching? So that kind of molecular modeling, you could run one model a year on a personal computer this is allowing them to do thousands in an hour. And so, that to me is a great example of industry coming together, other companies in industry, the government, all these supercomputes, uh, MIT, RPI, together to do something. And I see this in many different areas, whether it's the donation of things like mass, we've donated, mm-hmm. you know, companies like us have mass in all of our different locations. We've donated them, as now have others. As just a small example, Two, we've come together with other companies, all the kids that are now distance learning. We are doing dozens of countries, even New York City, 300,000 kids don't have access to anything remote or any kind of iPad or anything. We're rolling those out. We did a million kids in Spain. So I actually think industry has come together quite well and put aside, you know, just work together to get that done.
1: It's phenomenal, the power of computing and how it's, moving us so quickly to try and tackle what is a global problem at this moment. Um, it's fascinating to hear. I want to ask you, though, as you pointed out, you have... 350,000 workers at home now. I can only imagine the the logistics and the support that that requires on an emotional basis, never mind anything else. What do you make of the debate about perhaps staggering a reopening of the U.S. economy? You as a a leader of business here knows the balance between protection for workers, economic risks at this moment versus health risks. Where do you stand?
9: Well, I know that all of us, I mean, have put number one, the health of our employees, our customers, our families. And you're right, in some sense, because what we do is mission-critical work, we manage the invisible everywhere, we are so used to working in emergency or in crisis situations. So we've been built to work remote, which is when I said we've got almost 300,000 folks actually working remote. Many, though, do have to go on the front line. There are physical things that have to happen, and our teams are approved in every country in this world to go out into the front line, out outside to do what they have to do. And so what we've believed is that, A, we've got to keep these systems running and we do that remote. And where possible, we have to take some of these chances to do it safely, to go on site and get that done. And so in my mind, the most important thing to do is work on how to work and how to work safely. And the second most important thing then is to get the stimulus to people who both individuals, small, medium businesses, critical industries that really do need this right now, Julia. I mean, that's been, as my role on the Business Roundtable, one of the strongest things we've advocated for and paid sick leave as an example, um, because those systems surround all of us and what we do.
1: Couldn't agree more. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Ginny Rometty there. Always, thank you. president, chairman and CEO of IBM. Thank you. We'll be right back. One more look at the market price action today. Traducido To first move with a final look at what we're seeing early on in the stock market trading session. You've heard it from Anthony Scaramucci. I've said it. Be cautious here. Yes, we got that $2 trillion investment in survival, as I keep calling it. But look, we have to be very cautious. There are still many risks. We have to uh, continue to watch the impact on markets, on businesses, on jobs, of course, two Big jobs numbers tomorrow. That's it for the show. Stay with us. You've been watching First Move. As always, take care of yourselves and each other.
0: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.